All right, welcome to episode three of Tempest in a Temenos, where two life coaches discuss esoteric issues related to life, relationships, finding purpose, and self-understanding. I'm Dr. Misty Marlowe. And I'm Suki, aka the Wild Soothsayer. So in this episode, Suki and I decided that we were going to talk about the joys of saying no in the new year um, with the idea that if we can place appropriate limits and boundaries that in general will feel a lot better and be a lot less stressed. Um, so uh, I'm going to start out with talking a little bit about um, how some of these problems saying no manifest and then Suki is definitely going to give us some very concrete guidelines for exactly how to say no in the new year um, to allow you to have a, a really good year. So that's our agenda for today. And of course, I'm, I'm probably gonna um, ask Suki to interject and give some really good examples because I know from our discussions before, Suki has had wonderful examples of, of <laughs> uh, on um, when you try to set appropriate limits and say no. So, um, so here we go. Appropriate limit setting and providing boundaries is a topic that comes up a ton in therapy and life coaching because we have a lot of limiting beliefs uh, around what it means to tell somebody no. And I have found usually the people that have the most difficulty telling people no are really wonderful, highly empathetic people that by their nature, they just love helping other people. They love being there for other people. They are natural volunteers. Um, so they're the people that you'll see at work that the boss says, hi, I need somebody to help out with this project. Hi, like we need somebody to go do A, B, C, or D and they'll step up. Um, but what I've also seen behind closed doors with therapy and life coaching is that these people after a while, and I'll, I'll use some pretty strong terminology, Suki can disagree with me or if she has a different way of conceptualizing it. I will actually in some cases see these people begin to be victimized by people that um, have found out they have difficulty saying no and will kind of like gravitate towards them and be like, oh, I'll just go ask Misty to do this. She never says no and she always helps. And um, the people end up drained, stressed out, burned out. So what began is this really wonderful intent to be helpful, to be there for other people. Um, somebody bringing a lot of empathy to the game because they saw someone struggling and they're like, oh, let me take something off your plate. Let me help out. Something that started out with these beautiful, wonderful intentions actually creates something highly destructive um, for the person that's having difficulty saying no. And when I get that person behind closed doors and I'm like, okay, we're at the place where you're beginning to realize that always volunteering, always helping out, always saying yes when someone comes and asks you to do something, it's destroying you. Like it's really uh, making it difficult for you to live a happy and fulfilled life. Just say no. Like, and the, I, it's almost like I can see the wall that comes over their face initially. And they'll, you know, it'll be like, I just can't, like, I can't tell them no. And so that becomes the focus of the session. Why? Like, why is it so hard to say no? It's a simple little two letter word, like just say it. And the limiting belief that comes up very frequently behind that 
is if I tell people no, I'm actually being selfish, that I am being a bad person in some way by telling others no. And then if we really take it, um, you would do this in therapy, not so much with life coaching, but if we really backtrack in a really deep like Freudian way, um, usually this person was taught that saying no was selfish by people who unintentionally needed that person to not tell them no. Usually, unfortunately, you know, a lot of stuff is mommy or daddy issues. When you backtrack to their history, they had a parent that really needed their child to not have good judgment about everything that was asked of them. And so they had a parent that maybe the parent themselves was very overwhelmed and maybe needed to lean on the kid a little bit more than they should have. And so they, it was implicit that I need this from you child. And if you tell me, no, you don't wanna do it, you're being a selfish little child. And that got internalized into their own inner critic or their own inner voice. And it becomes this very destructive automatic thought that pops up now, like anytime as an adult, someone asks them to do something. Um, and a fascinating thing I've seen is um, when I tell the person, well, define for me what selfish is. Like, give me your personal definition of someone who is selfish. And you know, though it, it varies, but it's usually something along the lines of someone who doesn't think about other people, only thinks about themselves, lives their life, not caring about how their actions impact other people. And I'm like, well, actually, what you're describing is as a, um, a kind of a narcissist, like someone who feels like they're the center of the universe and that they don't have to think about how their actions impact others. You're actually, in many cases, a, you know, a narcissist, or even if we go to the dark side of the force, the psychopath or a sociopath is by nature very low empathy. And so I'll pause them and say, well, do you not have a lot of empathy? Like, do you not really care about how your actions impact other people? And they're like, wait, what we were actually just talking about is why I, I didn't tell people no, because I care a lot about other people. Like I care a lot about their stress. I care a lot about how much they have on their plate. And then we segue the conversation into ideas about, um, yeah, like, so this, the definition of selfishness you actually have in your mind does not even realistically apply to your situation. You are not a narcissist. You do not lack empathy. You are not um, antisocial. You do not, you're not a psychopath, a sociopath. You're almost thinking too much about how to take care of other people and not thinking about yourself as being one of the people that you need to think about. So that's where placing appropriate boundaries and learning how to say no um, you know, make, starts to make a lot of sense and becomes just a skill or a muscle that has to be built over time. So I've, I've ranted enough. I think I'll pause and see what Suki would like to add to that or another perspective or other ideas about that. Well, and I also think it would be nice if we reframe selfish um, as always being a bad thing. Um, I often think that self-care and selfish get conflated sometimes you're not being selfish you're just taking care of yourself first and um i think that there's a lot of mixed messaging around that um i think women especially mothers i think tend to 
get a lot of that messaging that if you're taking care of yourself, you're being selfish, it's not the same thing. And I think that's uh, really, really unfortunate. Um, Because sometimes the best thing you can do to be there for other people is to make sure that you are a happy, healthy, functioning person. And if you're not taking care of yourself, that is so not not going to work and not going to happen. And I, and I think you have to really, really pause for a second and think. Um, I know one of the traps I have fallen into as somebody who's been married over two decades um, is, uh, oh gosh, I can't think of the author's name. Um, she wrote a book called Fair Play. But anyway, this trap of always saying yes, because you've convinced yourself that it'll just be easier if I do it myself rather than let you figure it out. That is such a terrible habit. Like <laughs> That is an awful, awful habit. Any economist will tell you that is a terrible, terrible habit. Like it's much better to say, no, you go figure it out. If you need help after you can't figure it out, then maybe I'll help you. Um, then to just say, yes, I'll do it because it'll be easier then uh then you then the time it will take that I have to wait for you to figure it out um but it, it you know if you pause and think about it it makes absolutely no sense um because then you're stuck doing it forever and ever and ever and over again so that's that's the other thing you have to think about are you saying yes because you convinced yourself it's easier or are you uh, you know, saying yes in the moment and not thinking long-term about the consequences. Uh, so that's the other habit that I have fallen into. Like, I just say yes, because I think it's going to make my life easier. And it might in that like five seconds, but then five years from later, I'm like, why am I the only one in the house who only does this particular task? So you have to watch out for that too. That's sort of frustrated. Um, you know, fine, I'll do it. Uh, I'll, I'll give in to your I don't know how kind of situation uh, where maybe you're saying yes because somehow they've convinced you that you do it better, you do it faster. Don't do not do that. Don't do that. Don't, don't make my mistake. You can figure it out. Um, and you, you definitely do have to uh, watch out for those people that... Uh, will take advantage of the fact that um, that is the way you think and, uh, and go sit down on the couch and watch another episode of American Pickers while you're <laughs> taking care of whatever Yeah, and I um, definitely have seen that come up a lot in couples counseling and um, like I do have to caution and say like, okay, like we don't have to always go to the negative place that they're doing it on purpose, but I have in couples counseling gotten like a partner that did eventually admit I kind of did do it on purpose at a certain point. Like, <laughs> like they, when they were self-reflective enough and they weren't defensive, they were like, yeah, like I knew if I really screwed it up, they'd be like, fine, just like, I'll do it. Like if somebody, I'll just do it because you don't do it right. Um, so yeah, I love that different perspective, Suki. It's like sometimes you feel like you gotta take up the slack for everybody because of empathy. Sometimes you dig a hole for yourself, being like, like everybody else is incapable, and I just need to go ahead and do it to make sure it gets done right. I don't have the time to train everybody else how to do it right. Um, 
And for that, like, I feel like in some cases, that's a little bit of a decision tree sometimes. Like sometimes you logistically are like, yeah, I do not, I know I've done this 8 million times. I really can't just do it, get out of my way. But you got to be so vigilant that that doesn't become the status quo. And you end up feeling overwhelmed and just saying, yes, let me do it. Yes, let me do it. Yes, let me do it. Just because you've never created a space to delegate essentially. And, you know, I like the idea of holding other people around you's feet to the fire. Well, you do it so much better, Suki, or you do it so much better. And it's like, yeah, I do do it better. I'll be happy to teach you how to do it just as well so that I don't have as much on my plate and you can assist. Won't it be lovely if both of us can do it fabulously? Um, I have like a very um, vivid like memory too of um, like doing some couples counseling. And I see this come up thematically a lot for parents that are arguing over their kids and the moms getting so mad when they're always the ones that have to take the kids to the doctors. And I'm talking about for couples that are currently married, couples that are divorced and it's still like, why? And I'll like, I'll, you know, end up with the dads being like, well, it's because I get in trouble every time I take the kid to the doctor because I didn't ask the right questions. And I will look at the mom and be like, uh, like, do you harass him every time he comes back from the doctor and treat him like he was a moron because he didn't ask the right questions? And I'll have plenty of moms be like, yes, because he was a moron and didn't ask the right questions. So it's like, well, okay, so he felt criticized for not doing it the right way. So he backed off and is like, well, fine, if you're just gonna criticize me every time do it. And you were complacent in, or complicit in that, I meant, um, and you said, yeah, you do screw it up every time. So I'll just do it myself. So both of you played a role in essentially allowing this dysfunctional behavior to occur. So sometimes um, like both of us have to, you know, hold ourselves accountable. And, and I've definitely got some weird looks when I'm like, um, why was it that you didn't sit down before the doctor's visit and both of you agree on the list of questions to be asked, but then also look at everybody's work schedule and say who it made most sense to take the child to the appointment. If this is your child that both of you are invested in, shouldn't both of you contribute to the questions that are going to be asked of the doctor? Shouldn't both of you fully understand your child's medical condition? And shouldn't there be balance? Not always the same person taking time off from work. Like, should, and they've looked at me like, oh, well, yeah, that does kind of make sense. And it's like, you know, so many things go back to communication not being really effective and people not knowing how to approach it. And instead, communication falling apart and everybody getting their feelings hurt and feeling criticized. So yeah, I, I, I love that observation, Suki. That's definitely, some people manipulate, but then some people are also kind of controlling how they want things done as well. And they end up overwhelming themselves because they're like, nope, nobody can do it as well as me. I don't want to take the time to train you. And so, yeah, that's uh, another interesting perspective. And speaking of children of all ages, you also have to be mindful that, um, when you're always saying yes, you could be enabling dependency. And that is something uh, that is not good for either party. You end up overwhelmed because you're always having to be the superhero that comes to the rescue. And they actually end up feeling less empowered to handle uh, whatever's appropriate developmentally for them, depending on their age. So. 
I spent a number of years teaching in preschool and I absolutely loved working with children. Um, parents is another story, but the kids were wonderful and <laughs> people would, would look at me and they're like, oh, you know, they, they'd look at me like, I couldn't do this. You know, the kids make such a mess. And I was like, I don't worry about that because if they make a mess, I can teach them how to clean it up themselves. Now, the, the, the caveat to that is I give them plenty of warning when cleanup time is coming. And I also make sure that cleanup time is longer than it would be for a three-year-old, than a five-year-old, than a 10-year-old. A 10-year-old might be able to clean up the blocks in five minutes, but a three-year-old's probably gonna need 10 minutes to put the blocks up. Um, but I don't rush in and just say, oh my goodness, you know, you're, you're just taking too long and do that for the child. Um, so you have to be mindful of the fact uh, that um, when you're always swooping in, uh, and this can be, um, and, and I have found myself doing this with adult family members who had a habit of calling me all the time and saying, you're so good at this, can you fix it? Um, you know, getting into the habit of sure, because it's nice to feel needed and you know, they're very complimentary and then realizing, wait a minute, I am encouraging a perfectly capable adult of calling me to fix problems that they are perfectly capable of taking care of themselves and going, you know, uh, you know, it's like, um, I have stuff to do. I have a house to take care of and you are a grown person. So why don't you handle that? Um, and unless there's a fire or a limb missing, you can <laughs> take care of that. Um, and so you really need to be sure that um, you're not actually uh, encouraging dependence in another person or um, particularly, uh, it's really good to encourage this. I think, you know, what I've been noticing um, just in conversations with people talk about children who should be way more independent because they're moved into double digits, they're in their 20s, they're in their 30s, and they're like, well, you know, every little thing I get a phone call, well, are you saying yes, I'll come in and save you? Are you responding with, that is so sorry, I'm so sorry you're going through this. No, I'm not going to be able to fix this for you. I am perfectly confident that you can figure all this out. Um, I can tell you that uh, even when I was young, my parents um, would often give me the space to figure out my own problems. And it's actually can really lead to a boost in self-esteem. And it's really good to stretch the intellectual capabilities of a person um, and make them feel really empowered. And, and the nice thing about life coaching is that that's actually a good place to find that space where you can start to figure things out for yourself and just really dig into that feeling of, oh, wow, I am a resourceful human being that can figure things out for myself um, without somebody else telling me what to do or what I need to do. I'm able to sort of dive into those things. But um, if you're somebody that's gotten into a relationship where you're chronically saying yes, it may feel like the right thing to do, but you may be doing a disservice, not just to yourself, but to that other person by always saying yes. 
especially if they are in a crisis they've created for themselves. So that's oh. something else you really want to keep in mind. I love that. That is so, I think, pertinent to this day and age. And I love how you kind of painted that picture of like thinking about it developmentally. Um, and I'll, I'll tell you why I love it, because I've had some of these issues come up in so many meetings lately at college. <laughs> like I like, you know, I'll give you a little peek behind some professors closed doors. So we've had some during COVID. Um, definitely had more professional development meetings of like a lot of teachers being like, I haven't taught online very much, help. And also like having to do a lot of professor like stress management stuff. And um, recently in October, I was presenting at one of these conferences and because I was the resident life coach and therapist and also professor, they're like, your topic's gonna be stress management. And I was like, okay. And it quickly segued into the head of the social sciences department being like, what is up with these parents calling me about their adult children and trying to fix their kids' grade, trying to talk with the professors. First of all, they're stinking burpa that if your kid's grown, the professor cannot talk to you without a release of information. That's number one is that, that, but also like, I feel like when I reflect back on my undergrad, which was many years ago, um, if my mama had called one of my professors being like, why is she not making a good grade of your class? The professor would have laughed in her face and I would have wanted to crawl under a desk with embarrassment, but that wouldn't have even like come into the realm of consciousness. Like I remember all the way starting in middle school, if I came home with a bad grade, my parents were like, well, sucks to be you, doesn't it? Like, I suggest you figure out how to handle that. Like my parents would have never thought about, I wanna have a meeting with your teacher about why your grade's not good. And if I'd gone to my parent in middle school, high school or college and been like, I have a teacher who's a jerk and I'm getting bad grades I don't deserve. They'd been like, so when are you gonna go talk to them about it? Like, you know, when, when are you yeah. gonna figure out how to handle it? Or they would have been like, yeah, sometimes that happens. It sucks, doesn't it? Well, I guess you're not gonna get a good grade in that class. You can't win them all. Like it would have gone in either direction, but I feel like starting in middle school, there was zero involvement in my academic life for my parents other than what was required. Um, it was like, there was support. Like if I needed help with something and I reached out to them for help, they're like, sure, like, let me know what I can do. If I got to take you to the library, get you um, project supplies, if I got to sign your report card. Um, but I like literally one time in a calculus, I mean, I was a smarty patardy, so it's not like they had a lot of concerns anyway. But it, like one time I made a C on a calculus test and the teacher said, you have to get your parents to sign this. I really brought it home and they looked at it and they're like, what am I doing right now? I'm like, said because I made a C, you had to sign it. They're like, why? Like, why? I was like, my best guess is so that you won't complain to her later if I make a bad grade in the class. They're like, why would I complain to her? You made a bad grade in the class. <laughs> like, they were so confused about why I was asking them to sign it. So I come from that mentality. And I'm now like in college and the, because I teach college at a lot of different levels, I teach community college, I teach at, at private universities. Um, I like sometimes see almost like no problem at all, even for very young people. And I'll say like at the community colleges, I feel like the young people that have taken it upon themselves to come to community college, already have a very autonomous adult perspective. And I don't see that, that their parents interfere very much, but at the large universities, 
where maybe we've had some helicopter parenting and I have these kids entering my classes, like have the parents send me emails. I just need to let you know that my little precious Jane Doe had a very stressful night last night and that's why she wasn't able to turn in her paper. And parents, I'm letting you know, on the other end, I am snorting and laughing through my nose, being like, y'all child is grown. Why are you emailing me parent? And so we're in the stress management portion of this conference. The head of the social sciences department is over there. She just stops the whole thing. And she's like, what's up with these parents? Misty, you're a therapist and a life coach. Give me, give me a reason that these parents think they're doing the right thing. Like, help me out. Like, she was so like, I need to cognitively reframe how I think about these parents. So I'm not just thinking that there are overprotective controlling assholes. And I'm like, okay, they think by them just taking over for their kid and doing everything for them, that they're protecting them from a vicious, cruel world. So I'm telling you right now, they've gone to their parent and been like, oh, I'm worried about making a bad grade in this class. And the parent has automatically shifted to, I need to protect my child from this evil professor who's going to fail them in this class and ruin their future. So they're going into protective mode. And, but I said right in the middle of this training, what the parents are not realizing is that they are implicitly communicating to their child, I have to do this for you because I perceive you as being incapable. And they don't realize how damaging that is to the self-esteem of their client or in, not their client, their child, which it ends up being my client in therapy and life coaching, that they have all these goals for themselves and they have no faith in their own ability to do it. And when we look, it's like, yeah, like throughout your life, people very important to you have had good intentions, but they have implicitly communicated to you, you're not smart enough to do it. You can't figure it out. You're incapable. And quite honestly, I'll go to the real dark side of the force. I feel like that's the reason a lot of people don't understand how life coaching works. Like they get therapy because they're like, oh, you're going to see an expert and the expert's going to give you all the answers and you're going to follow their steps and your life's going to be better. Uh, okay, first of all, just to dispel that myth, if you ever go to a therapist who does that, run away. That's that, okay. A therapist that just comes in and says, let me tell you how to live your life. Never go see that therapist again, A. But B, life coaches definitely don't do that. A life coach. Or at least they shouldn't. Yeah, well, they should. Actually, anybody yeah. that claims, if you meet anybody that claims that they know everything, back slowly out of the room because you just never turn your back on them. They are definitely dangerous. So back slowly out of the room to take your eyes off them. <laughs> we'll preface it, a good therapist and a good life coach would never be like let me just tell you what to do um but people kind of have that expectation now in all fairness in some types of therapy that's been historically how they would do it you were going to see an expert who was going to tell you how to do something the really today in, in healthy therapies, the only time you're going to go see somebody and they're going to tell you exactly what to do is if you're dealing with very strident behavior management. Like if you have a substance abuse issue, they will send you to a 12-step program that says follow steps, you know, and you know, you need to stop hanging around at old playgrounds and with old playmates. Like they will give you a very 
um, behaviorally based outline for how to approach it. And they will tell you exactly what you need to do to overcome the addiction. If you have a child with an autism spectrum disorder um, and you have to do behavior modification, you will meet with somebody who's an ABA certified therapist who's going to give you exact directions for how to modify the behavior based off of psychological principles. So for now, for therapy, in some cases, yes, there's somebody who's an expert who will tell you exactly what to do. But if you go just for stress management, self-growth, any of that, for the vast majority of like life coaching, it's going to be someone guides you in problem solving your own life. So if you ever go see a life coach that starts giving you a list of things you have to do or starts giving you advice, just like Suki said, back slowly out of the room. Um, that's part of the reason why you do need to be very cautious about seeing a certified life coach, someone who's actually got education and training and has passed a certification process because um, it's almost like for a therapy, like technically anybody can call themselves a counselor, but there is a difference between like, you can have a cap, camp counselor and what did they do? They showed up and got a badge. Like, come on now. You can go to a church and go see a counselor at your church. And like, I've talked with people that got couples counseling through their church. And I said, what were their credentials? And they said, they're married and they're Christians. I'm like, so, so what, what does that have to do with them being able to help your marriage? And they're like, I don't know. They just thought since they had a good marriage and they shared our values, they would be able to tell us how to fix our marriage. I'm like, I wish it worked that way, but it does not. So in that same way, somebody can say they're a life coach. And ironically enough, when you talk to a lot of people that are advertising themselves as life coaches who have not gone through any trading or a certification process, they think people are going to come to them and they're going to give them advice and tell them how to live their life. And so again, run away quickly from those people. Real life coaching is, a, is process oriented and it is about guiding your process for problem solving as the client, not dictating to you how to live your life. That's why life coaches are able to meet with such a diverse set of people, people all over the world because they meet someone where they are and ultimately the person is making their own decisions and not following like, you know, advice. Now, because we are talking about life coaching, but not actually actively doing it with an individual on these podcasts, we will give you advice, <laughs> but don't think that would be exactly the same as what would happen when you go to see a actual life coach in a life coaching session. This is not exactly how it would manifest. So we went off on a tangent that was useful. <laughs> now circle back to saying no. Say no so you don't burn yourself out. If you have problems saying no, you may need some life coaching to explore your own limiting beliefs about how saying no means you're selfish, your own limiting belief that I have to do it all myself because nobody else can do it right and I don't have the time to teach them how to do it right. Whatever your limiting belief is, that's what you could get out of life coaching is to figure out why you know you should say no, but emotionally you can't bring yourself to do it even though it's in your best interest. Um, so things to think about and back to you, Suki, to expand on those ideas, add to it or to give your list if you're ready. <laughs> I am. So these are, these are just some, some, some tips to think of. So you can have a happy no year, uh, some tips so that, cause we really think if, if, if this is something you struggle with, um, mastering and learning how to say no 
can really help you have the best year ever. Um, so the first thing to keep in mind is that if saying no is a new skill, like all new skills, it's going to take practice. You're not going to get it right the first time. You ever learn to play an instrument, got out on the basketball court and tried to dribble? You didn't get a handle on it the first time. You're not going to always say no when you know you should. However, like any other new skill, the better you get at it, the better it feels. So keep practicing saying no when you know it's right. The other thing, and this is one of my favorites, somebody said it to me when I was learning uh, to work with small children and their parents, no is a complete sentence. So if you tell someone no and don't feel compelled to explain why, you are perfectly entitled to do so. No is a complete sentence. <laughs> um, you know, there need be not any if, ands, or make and tains. You just, <laughs> no is a complete sentence. Um, I don't want to is a perfectly valid reason to tell somebody no. That said, you have to is not a valid reason to do something. Um, you know, somebody else's emergency doesn't make it yours. Somebody else's poor planning doesn't make it your responsibility. Um, some people are very, very gifted at trying to shift their problems, uh, their issues. There are other people, I mean, they are travel agents for guilt trips. They are very, very good. <laughs> I love that. You know, I use that. Travel um, <laughs> trips. I love it. I love it. <laughs> um, you know, we've all met them. We know who they are. Um, you know, uh, and they're, you know, and, and you have to is what they stamp on every passport. You, you just, you know, you have to is not a valid reason for you to do something that you don't want to do. But I don't want to is a perfectly valid reason for not doing something you don't want to do. Um, so, and I have had that happen. I was at a family gathering and somebody's like, Hey, do you want to take pictures of people opening presents? No. And the response I got is, well, that's a very teenager thing to say. I was like, you asked me if I wanted to, and I didn't. So I said, no, because I don't <laughs> want to, I don't like doing it. I don't want to. That's the whole reason. Like, it's like, it's not a teenager thing. When you ask me a question and the answer is no, it's a complete sentence because I don't want to. Um, the other thing that you need to keep in mind is that sometimes you're saying no right now so that you can say yes to whatever that future goal is. And a lot of you out there are gonna be listening. Um, you're working on, I don't know, uh, building a future business. Maybe you're working on a future athletic goal. You're training for a marathon or some other uh, endurance sport. Maybe you're studying to acquire higher education. Um, you could be working on any long-term goal. To do that, you need to take away time for yourself. Maybe you're saying no to something that you might be doing like for yourself or to relax or no to some other responsibility. Sometimes you're saying no right now so that you can achieve a goal that's going to be very meaningful to you 
in the future. Sometimes a no now is a yes for tomorrow. And that's actually a really good thing to keep in mind. Um, it's also really good if you need to break a bad habit or reinstate a good one. Uh, so so, so it, this is one of those rare occasions where no and yes uh, work in parallel with each other. Um, and the other thing that that kind of dovetails into is that your time is just as precious as anyone else's. Um, and this applies to anybody who is working and or staying at home with the kids. You will hear this excuse all the time. I work from home. Missy's working from home right now. And people tell you all the time, well, you work from home. You have plenty of time. No, because I am working. <laughs> I am working. So your time is just as precious as anyone else's. You need to guard it like the resource that it is. Okay. Don't just say yes and give it away to somebody else who's just going to waste it. Um, so you can say no and protect your time because your time is better spent on something that's of value to you or of value to your family, something that's going to enrich your life. Even if it's just being by yourself and meditating, coloring, arting, um, whatever you need to do to refresh and recharge your own batteries. That's all that that's also perfectly legitimate. Um, now here's something you may not know, but saying no is actually a responsible part of adulting, not the other way around. <laughs> so, so saying yes to everything does not mean you are all grown up. Sometimes saying no is a responsible part of adulting. Yes, that does sometimes include saying no, I don't need another shot, but that also means sometimes saying no is saying no and taking care of yourself instead. Being a responsible adult actually uh, means saying no, and that is an important thing to keep in mind. Um, and the other thing, uh, especially if uh, this is something you're struggling with, um, especially if you're still out there trying to find that right person, is that a healthy relationship has got a balance of yeses and nos. If you're in a relationship and you're saying yes all the time and you can't say no, you, you got a problem, okay? You can't spell boundaries without an N and an O. A healthy relationship has got to have a balance of both. If, if you're in a situation where the only person saying yes is you, um, you know, something's out of whack there. Boundaries are a good, boundaries are a good thing. Boundaries in any relationship are a really good thing. They say good fences make good neighbors, good boundaries make good relationships. And that's something to keep in mind. And again, if you need to readjust those boundaries as a relationship progresses, that's perfectly normal. Sometimes what worked a year ago may not be working now. Um, and it's okay to make those shifts. It's not always comfortable. It's not always pleasant. Like I said, I've been married 20 years. These things aren't always easy, but in a healthy relationship, they can be done. Um, and and that sometimes 
you know, can mean no, I am not going over to your mother's house because quite frankly, I, I would just much rather sit at home with the dog. I'm just not feeling it today. You know, sometimes that's just what you have to do. Um, and a healthy relationship should give you space to do that. And um, if you're in a situation where you can't do that, then you might need to seek out somebody who can help you practice, who can help you learn how to say no and establish boundaries in a way that is healthy for you. Um, and that's, that's really, really important. You are worth it. You are worth saying no and taking care of yourself. And you really, really, I really want you to think about that and, and take that in and think about it. Because if you don't take care of you, you're not taking care of anybody else. Trust me, my wife tells me that all the time. So I've heard it a lot over the years uh, when I would get into the habit of, uh, of saying yes, just a little too much. Um, but uh, I really think for those of us that uh, might be chronic people pleasers um, or have fallen into that trap for one reason or another, uh, 2021 is a really good time because when isn't it to have a happy no year and, uh, and, and uh, you know, go out there and make it the best year ever. And, and instead, we're just going to do it by learning what to say no to instead of saying yes to everything. <laughs> So my empathetic people, don't stop being empathetic, but guess what? We get to reinforce the no aspect rather than the yes, because I know even though we've given you this advice, you're probably still going to say yes to more people than maybe you should, although we watch out for that should word. This is going to be about planting the seed that it might be okay to say no. It to Try to shed some of those limiting beliefs saying no does not mean you're selfish, saying no does not mean that you will be forever hated by everyone and you're a bad person. Um, you know, saying no does not mean your life is going to fall apart because you didn't do everything yourself and you had to delegate to others. You can have a wonderful life that involves more balance. And some cliches really are true, like, like, like the cliche of put the oxygen mask on yourself before you put on, on others like that. That's one that we're going to keep because that one still makes a whole lot of sense. Um, so with that being said, Suki, oh, it you looks like you're about to say something else. Go right ahead. Yeah. And, and I want you to keep one thing in mind. I say no's are a healthy part of a relationship. If you have got somebody in your life, if you tell them no, and they're like, well, I don't want to be friends with you and never come back. Just keep in mind, you may have been better off without them. They may be doing you a favor, you know, uh, by burning that bridge and never coming back. You may be like, you know, you know, watching them walk away might be a good thing. I don't know if you ever had a situation, Misty, where you're like looking at somebody in, in, in session or working with somebody and they're telling you, I told them no, and I haven't heard from them since. And upon reflection, they're thinking, you know, I have a lot more free time and a lot less stress, but 
Um, oh yeah, I got a really good example of that um, from my own personal life slash professional life, but not not towards a client, but towards another therapist. And I'll leave out names to protect the not so innocent in this case. Um, but like where I see that it pops up a lot is with people um, that again, I, I feel like very few people are intentionally trying to manipulate others. I feel like people that put pressure on you to do things for them and people who have difficulty accepting your no, in their mind, they feel very justified. And they may even communicate with you in such a way that is trying to give you that guilt trip. But again, in their mind, they're not trying to do something bad is that they really do need something from you. And you should, in their mind, you should feel obligated to give it to them. And my personal slash professional example of that was I had a work colleague who was a therapist who was going through some very tough times in her life, maritally, as a parent, had a lot going on, but she kind of wasn't always in crisis. Meaning like I worked for with her for like seven years and I don't remember too much of that seven years where something wasn't happening. And also from my limited perspective, you know, it wasn't my life, so I didn't know everything. It seemed like a lot of her crises were from her own choices. It wasn't like life came out of nowhere and slapped her around. It's like some of the stuff she was in crisis about, it was like, well, honey, you made your bed, now lay in it. Uh, she had a tendency to come to the other therapist and be like, hey, I need somebody to see my client this afternoon. I have to handle this crisis. Hey, I need somebody to run my group therapy for me. Um, I have a crisis. And initially, all of us very empathetic therapists were like, of course, I'll do your group for you tonight, even though it put more strain on us and took us away from our families and our free time. Even though now instead of having one set of notes to do, we had two sets of notes to do. If any of her clients, you know, at the time we were working with oppositional teenagers, if any of her oppositional teenage clients had a meltdown in group, we had to handle that. Initially, we were happy to be there for her. But as time went on and she never got out of crisis and she just kept asking everybody to take up the slack, um, I, I'm a very mouthy, very assertive slash almost aggressive in my communication person at, you know, at times. I never thought it of you. Never would have thought it, huh? <laughs> I said to her when she was like, nobody would run my group tonight. They're all being so mean to me. And I looked her dead in the eye and I said, no, you're crisis driven. Everybody's tired of cleaning up your messes. And so you're going to get a lot of pushback and a lot of more people setting boundaries and limits with you uh, because they're not going to accept that. And so my recommendation to you is to learn how to manage your own crises more effectively and stop generating some many crises in your life. So I you know, stopped her in her tracks and said, don't make this that everybody else is being mean to you. Everybody else is taking care of themselves and you just don't like it because that means more of the responsibility falls on you to take care of your own shit. Um, so yeah, we, we are not currently friends anymore for many reasons, not just that one. And yeah, my life has been much more stress-free now that that's one less person um, that I have placing demands on me and my time. Cause she, she was not just a work friend who would do that in a work setting. She also would do it a lot in her personal life as well. And very much expected her family and friends to, at a moment's notice, you know, babysit her children, come pick her up if her car broke down, A, B, C, or D. Now, not to say she didn't have other very positive attributes. Of course she did. Um, but I felt like that was healthy for her to have an opportunity to be self-reflective over how she was generating her own crises in life and to positively 
reframe people telling her no, not that she's surrounded by assholes, but maybe they were encouraging her to live her life in a healthier way. At the time, I don't feel like she was receptive to it, but that's her own journey. I cross my fingers and hope that one day she internalized that and used it in a really healthy way. Because all of us will get pissed off sometimes about feedback we get from other people. Um, and sometimes other people are full of shit and their feedback's not really useful. Um, but in my own case, the feedback I get from other people that's the hardest to hear is the stuff that gets my attention the most. <laughs> because I'm like, even if I think you're being a jerk right now, are you saying something that I can listen to um, and that will inform me about how to be a better version of myself. So the people in your life, they give you the most shit for telling them no, are probably some of the people that could benefit the most from figuring out why they don't like hearing no from you. And that's not always your job to help them on that journey. They probably need to go get their own life coach or their therapist, but you can be a powerful person that gives them food for thought instead of merely enabling their behavior by continuing to do stuff for them every time they ask you to. So that's my two cents on that. Take it or leave it. <laughs> yeah, I know for me, um, I got in the habit of I planned every family party and it had just gotten a little overwhelming and I wasn't taking care of I was using that time when I needed to focus on goals that I needed to um and one thing that was really helpful to me was I actually set a physical boundary I was like I am no longer taking responsibility for anything past the end of my driveway and mm -hmm. like that I would check myself I'd be somebody would call and I get a call are you planning this party it's like what well, is the party happening on the inside or the outside of my driveway if it's on the outside of my driveway then the answer is no and it was like oh my goodness this is so much fun no I'm not doing it and it's and that has served me really well so sometimes um you know if you're struggling with like well when do I say no sometimes you can just uh essentially create something that's simple but um I can remember the you know I had a wonderful, wonderful therapist, and I won't say her name, although I will, I remember it to this day, and she told me this when I was 18. She said, if you are struggling um, about whether the, the question of something is yes or no, if all else fails, then ask yourself, is it getting me closer to my goal or not? If it's closer to your goal, then the answer is yes. And if it's not, then the answer is no. And so if I ever find myself emotionally overwhelmed, which can create a lot of uh, executive static, you know, um, the emotion can cloud, then I just say, okay, this is this is how I'm gonna get, you know, I've got, I'm here, this is how I'm gonna navigate this fork in the road. You know, uh, goal positive is yes, goal negative or neutral, is no. Um, and that's one of the things that I love about life coaching is that it can help you clear out all that emotional static uh, that, I mean, just everything can bring. It gives you a nice, quiet, safe space to just be like, clear out the clutter out of your brain and just figure out, okay, the things that I'm working with, the actions that I'm taking, is it on the yes side that's going to get me towards the goals that are going to enrich my life or is it on the no side that I'm just going to let go by the wayside because it's not um but I'll never I, I I've taken that piece of advice with me 
throughout my whole life. Um, and I'll never forget her name because um, at a time in my life when, uh, because you're 18 and, you know, you're out on your own for the first time, you're confused about everything, you know, everything and nothing all at the same time. Um, you know, she, she gave me that piece of advice and it served me well in many a situation and I'll never forget it. So uh, at the end of the day, when yes and no becomes overly complicated, that's that's at least one little piece I can leave you with that's like, uh, if everything else, if nothing else sticks, uh, that's one thing I can leave you with that might be helpful. Very nice. Anytime we can gain clarity and try to simplify a process. <laughs> <laughs> very good in this chaotic world that we're living in right now. So, oh, taking a deep breath for that. Woosah through that. Are you closer <laughs> to your goal or not? If you're not closer to your goal, let that junk go. Say no. Say no. <laughs> <laughs> and it's fun. Everybody take a deep breath. Just be like, no. <laughs> just take a deep breath and be like, no. Hey, I think, you know, if you know, if you have to, just go stand in front of the mirror and just imagine whatever's stressing you out and just practice saying no. Got a dog, just lean over and go, I'm just going to practice telling you no. I'm just going to practice telling your <laughs> little face no. Because, <laughs> and I'm telling you, you know, it, it's a skill and you practice it. And after a while, you're you just start to enjoy it. It's like, wow, I said no, I established a boundary. I'm taking care of myself and putting myself first. Um, it's not always going to be easy, but I'm telling you, it'll start to feel damn good. So just give it a try, you know, just give it a try. And you'll be amazed how even the smallest of changes can have an impact on uh, a positive impact on your life. So, you know, just, just practice just a little bit, practice just a little bit, just set practice a little bit saying, no, 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 no. <laughs> you know, um, kind of added, we've definitely talked through some of kind of like these worst case scenarios of someone who's very anxious and through their anxiety puts expectations on you that aren't necessarily fair. Some people who will just be blatantly manipulative and know that you have difficulty saying no and use that to their advantage. But I do feel like in the vast majority of cases that um, people do not understand that asking you to do things um, is problematic or they don't know you struggle with saying no. So they believe you're saying yes, because you really do have plenty of time, plenty of energy, because in some cases you're saying like yes to volunteering for something because you really will enjoy doing it and it won't cause you any problems and you really do want to do it. In some cases, someone is not dwelling within your inner world. And if you don't tell them no, they are going off a very positive mindset of, oh, they're happy to volunteer. They have plenty of time. This isn't stressing them out at all. 
So in many cases, as I've said, we have these limiting beliefs that something bad will happen if we say no, and you can shock yourself to death when you tell somebody no, and you had so much anxiety yourself about telling them no, and all they do, they're like, oh, okay, no problem, let me ask so-and-so, and they just move on right to the next person, or they're like, oh, okay, you can't do it, no biggie, and like you had built up this fantasy in your mind that there was going to be all this drama from telling the person no, or it wasn't going to get done, and then you say no, and it's a complete non-issue. And it's like, oh, so I could have been saying no for a real long time. It wouldn't have been a big deal. There can be power, even in the situations where you do get pushback, because some people will maybe be a little bit angsty. Again, not because they were intending you ill will, but because they just got really used to how everything was done and you were teaching them a new normal. And it can be this amazing crossroads that you reach when you told them no, they come at you again. Hey, can you plan this party again? No, I don't really feel like doing that. Okay. And then when it comes to, they finally start being like, well, I'm just not even going to ask you because I know you don't want to do those things. So they stop, I call it, they stop even tapping on your window, trying to test your boundaries. They stop it because you have so clearly asserted your boundaries that you're teaching them how to treat you and they begin respecting your boundaries without even testing them. And then you actually get to enjoy your interactions with that person so much more because like don't underestimate how much latent resi resentment and negativity that you'll have towards somebody who you feel like is testing your boundaries or draining you dry. We tend to be mad at the psychic vampires around us, even if we're in some ways allowing ourselves to be drained by failing to put good boundaries in place. So for people that you've maybe had a tenuous relationship with, who you get exasperated with, that essentially don't know, they don't know why that you're a part of their life, but sometimes you're a little bit annoyed with them or clipped with them or rude to them on a very subtle level. And it's because you weren't setting boundaries with them and they were annoying you or draining you that once you start putting the boundaries in place, you can have more fun with them. You can enjoy your interactions with them more because you don't have that same resentment because they're not draining you dry anymore because you're not letting them. So you can, you can actually, in a weird twisted way that most of us don't understand, by setting boundaries with other people, you can be creating the safe space in which a healthier relationship can grow. So to summarize my long-winded rant that I just went through, sometimes we dread saying no, and we don't need to because the person will just respect our boundary, no problem. It's just they, we never put the boundary in place before, so they didn't know it was needed. Or the people who might initially resent you putting the boundary in place will eventually get used to it and you can be happier with them because now they're not draining you and you're not resentful. And so ultimately the boundary can create a space for a much healthier, happier relationship. So that's my, again, my two cents on that. <laughs> and how cool is it just to know, I mean, just to establish for a fact that saying no did not cause the world to fall apart. <laughs> Yes. Once you do it, and then you have clearly established that the world has not fallen apart. Mm -hmm. 
And along with that example I gave earlier, like I have gone to some moms and said, okay, moms, um, you've been getting into fights with your husband because you say, I'm tired of taking the kid to the doctor all the time. And it's always got to be me uh, because he doesn't ask all the right questions. I'm like, so you got to take that risk. Like, yes, if there are specific questions that you're scared he's going to miss, the two of you sit down and have a list, but let him go and take the child to the doctor's appointment and have faith in him. He'll do his best. And if he's not perfect, you're going to have to let it go and it's going to be all right. And your child's not going to die. Like, and all the years that a father who may not be as good with the questions as the mom. In all the years the dad has taken a kid, I've not had one kid that died because the dad missed a key question at the pediatrician's office. I'm just putting that out there. Um, and don't be, and, and, and you'll be shocked to find out that your doctor's office probably has a phone in it. So if it's a question that you just absolutely have to have an answer to, your phone probably has a phone app on it and can call his phone <laughs> and get that question answered. So there's probably another solution if the first one doesn't <laughs> I mean, I feel like these days, don't doesn't pretty much every doctor's office have like a triage nurse that I feel like from what their job sounds like is most of the time they're on the phone all the day, all day long answering people's questions. Because um, I don't know that <laughs> I've got to ask a question for my own friggin' appointment when I've been in there before and left and like 15 min minutes later been like shit I meant to ask that and I forgot like you know it's, uh, it happens, it happens but yes yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah. That, that fear and relinqu relinquishing control but in the vast majority of, of situations relinquishing a little control is not going to cause somebody to, to die it's going to be all right it is going to be all right. <laughs> so I think I'm all good with my ranting. How about you, Suki? You want to take us out? Yeah, I think, I think we're all good. Um, so if you need help having a happy no year, keep in mind, number one, all else fails. Yes to your goals. No to everything else. Um, and you're worth it. You're worth saying a good old fashioned N O no. Um, and if you need me help with that, I'm sure either of us are willing to help you. So you can reach out to me at wildessentia, W Y L D E S S E N T A dot com, or you can reach out to Misty at um, you can go to my website, mistymarlow.com, M-I-S-T-Y-M-A-R-L-O-W-E.com, or you can just email me directly at email at mistymarlow.com. And yeah, either I think either one of us will, if you're over there being like, well, if I'm supposed to say yes to my goals and no to everything else, what if I don't know what my goals are? Life coaching is perfect for that. But also, <laughs> it, like we've talked about during this entire episode, if there's... Um, some limiting beliefs that even though we talked about ways to say no, if you're still just absolutely struggling emotionally with getting that no to come out of your mouth, like, yeah, just stop struggling by yourself. Reach out and get some help. Go see a life coach, either one of us, um, to figure out what limiting belief is just holding you back from the goal of being able to say no.
And like my grandmother always used to say, if you can't be good, be good at it. <laughs> Wonderful. Thanks so much. We'll see y'all next time. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. <laughs> Bye.